welcome back to the next podcast. In this one, we discuss the idea of stereotypes and how they exist as much in the person viewing the particular group as it does in the group itself or the individuals which populate that certain group. Don't forget that if you like these things and you find them to be of value, these podcasts, then you can support us at patreon.com forward slash gabsmacked, G-A-B-S-M-A-C-K-E-D. At the moment, there are a few factual possible errors in this scope, one of them being that when I mentioned the creation of Trump supporters, the clarification is that in this particular climate, it can create Trump supporters, what I'm actually talking about in this particular cast, because there are people that out of not being heard, want to have their voices heard and go to a certain potential solution, even though that solution is, say, not the best one for the whole population. And in the past, that could have been another type of candidate. It doesn't have to be specifically ideologically on one side of whatever spectrum. could be left, can be right, whatever it is. But at this point in time, it happens to be that group. And in no way uh, am I at all passing any moral judgment on any particular person who felt that they needed to vote for whichever leader they felt they needed to vote for. <laughs> All right. So I had to be clear on that. And once again, patreon.com forward slash gabsmacked and enjoy the podcast. Oh, yeah. One other thing. I think I mentioned that I found one fact about Trump in his second book, Out of the Comeback. I don't think that that's where I found it. And I can't actually remember where I heard it. But listen on and enjoy. Welcome back. Hello, everybody, at our Anchor podcast at anchor.fm. And, of course, America likes to be swamped, swarmed, and flooded with the most ridiculous of nonsensical and emotional gibberish. Why, of course, would it be any different? Hello. So, zoom, zoom, all right, my friend. Now, I actually was starting a podcast completely unrelated to this next issue that we'll be talking about with Cindy Hyde-Smith. I was starting this conversation. I'm telling you now, I did not plan this. And it's amazing how coincidental this is. Where I was talking about classifying the different types of racism and how getting it wrong creates more division and creates more power for demagogues. And it's, of course, ironic that people accusing uh, somebody in a mob lynching style format, somehow unrelated... Uh, is is what's actually going on with this person. Now, let me explain all of the different articles that I've seen. So the first article I got was an article that said that a Mississippi candidate said, quote unquote, Sarah Ballerina and Boss Briggs, that if my colleague, and I saw the, the, uh, the tweet and I saw her actually say this, she said, if my colleague, right, uh, whatever, uh, invited me to a public hanging, you know, I'd be there. All right. And then people applauded. Oh, isn't that nice? All right. So first of all, we have to understand the difference between a public hanging and a lynching. So a public hanging can be either intrajudicial or extrajudicial. And lynching was the illegal mob rule when people outside of the justice system would go and basically commit murder. It was, it was murder. It was group murder gang murder. Now, public hanging could be one or the other. It could be an actual uh, legal 
one, depending on capital punishment laws, TR fungi of whatever country we're talking about, whether they're just or not, is a completely different story, of course, or we could be talking about lynching. Hello. And first of all, people then on certain articles have said, listen to what Cindy Hyde-Smith said, even dumber. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And if that's possible, uh, it, so where were we? I lost what I was saying there. Cindy Hyde Smith has been accused of now somehow secretly supporting lynching. Now, I don't know how people went from what she said, which was dumb to what she's been accused of saying, which is illegal, immoral, reprehensible, and racist on top of dumb. Oh, thank you for following me on Gabversity, Sarah Ballerina. So this is quite important. I want to talk about this separately to an actual topic, but of course this topic has popped up and for some reason, maybe it's just America. I don't know. I think it's humanity in general, sort of like to fall into these little traps. So I also did some more research on, <laughs> on um, Cindy Hyde-Smith and I found a few things. One, she presided over the US Senate as it finally passes anti-lynching laws. So that's a bit strange because if she was somehow for lynching, why would she preside over the US Senate passing anti-lynching laws? That's a bit strange. Maybe she's hiding her racism. That could be, this, this is the sort of the non sequiturs I start to hear by human beings. The next one we've got here is that Cindy Hyde-Smith voted for the bipartisan S-756 First Step Act prison reform. That was another thing she voted for. The next thing she did was say apparently only publicly half apologized for her public hanging comment because she said that her words were twisted. So that doesn't count apparently as a full apology. Um, I don't get the logic here. I'm not sure if anyone's following me or if I need to explain why these actually don't make any logical sense. Uh, the next one is we have an article here where the article actually says this. A white Republican senator made a partial apology. Okay. Then it says she's running against a black Democrat. This is time.com. Time.com now in its news instantiates actual racism. I find this very interesting. I don't know if this is just the US or is this human beings in general? I don't know. What are we going to see next? A libo went up to a Muslim. I mean, is this, is this now news? This is somehow okay, legitimate. All I can say is I'm really pissed off at the moment and I'm doing my best to not lose the fucking shit. All right. So you've got to stay calm. So what have we got here? We got a lady, a person, a human who said something stupid. Did she say something stupid because out of context, it sounds really bad? Yes. Now, somebody said, we don't know what's in her heart, but we know what she said. Really? What did she say? If we look at this article, it says here that the person who wrote this article called Jeffrey Robinson, and with, a, with this ingratiating smile, says that he calls her apology. He puts it in quote, quotes. All right? He says her apology. And of course, this is an opinion article, but basically it's telling you what to think which is what I call propagandist media. Um, 
Yeah, I'm sure it's annoying. Now, what he said was, this is what she said. Then he goes to, as soon as he said that this was her apology and I've never been hurtful to anyone, and that her comments were twisted and taken out of context. The next paragraph, he writes, history provides context. Lynching in America is where these many people died, these many people died, these many people died. You know what? Those people that died is horrific. Okay. Now, in their name, you are going to now what exactly? Turn around and lynch this person for saying something stupid that actually had nothing to do with lynching as far as we can see. And this person himself said, we don't know what's in her heart. Correct. We don't know what's in her heart. And you said, we know what you said. Well, do you? Because what she said was not what you are actually trying to portray. The irony is, of course, that you, sir, are doing the very lynching of which you accuse this other person of so-called supporting. Isn't that a beautiful irony? This person is actually not defending those who were lynched, but in fact is a perpetrator of the modern equivalent. Um, I find that quite murderous, and I would call that actually pure and blind. I could say it was racism if I wanted to, because the person writing the article is uh, using the other person's different skin color in their article. Am I South African? How many times has, have people seen that question asked of me? over the last, I don't know, a few months. Uh, the answer, once again, is with two letters, N and O. <laughs> Alrighty. So additional examples include the mutilation and lynching of... So where is what I want to understand is where the logic is in this point. Why, why does this anger me? This angers me because scumbags like this who write these type of articles are the reason, are the reason that people who feel then that they're therefore under attack go and vote for ridiculous maniacs like Trump, okay? Because where else are they gonna go when smug reverse lynches? <laughs> nah, that's cool. Um, I, I do get that a lot. I, I, I do, uh, you speak good English for an Aussie, uh, somebody said to me once who was from South Africa. Uh, so yeah, anyway, um, I don't get the point of doing that. I think that those type of articles create more Trump supporters, so look, Maybe these people secretly work for Trump and so want to play this game of pretending to hate all white people or somehow conflate something they said that was stupid with something that's overtly racist, even though this person has worked to pass laws and presided over the passing of laws, which are exactly the opposite. So the prison reform grossly, grossly and disproportionately assists our beloved uh, minorities in the US, way more than people with white skin, okay, if that's how they're going to play this racial game. And the second thing that she she presided over, of course, was the anti-lynching laws where that was brought in by Kamala Harris. So somehow, because she says something dumb about going to some public gathering involving capital punishment, which is dumb, in support of a candidate that she was trying to endorse, that somehow gives people the right to contradict and disregard every single thing she's done against lynching and against racism or the idea of prejudice against people of color. Decide to skip all of that and then say that somehow, I don't know what they're trying to say. They used her comments and then put the history of lynching underneath. I want to understand how scientifically and or logically and or reasonably and or without emotion or with any sort of intelligence are related. I could do the same thing with any person. I could say 
this person is trying to lynch these Mississippi people. Let me talk to you about lynching. And then, of course, I could bring up the history of lynching and talk about, I don't know, um, the Americans, instead of saying black people, for example, because in my view, as someone, as a democratic socialist, and you don't have to necessarily be that way, you could just be a regular human, uh, what was done to people uh, of a certain color is something that is within every human uh, to be able to do if they follow their prejudices. And of course, we can see this as evidenced by somebody here who decides to now think that payback is somehow justified. Actually, no. Payback is to not succumb to the prejudiced parts of you which seek to oppress other people with immutable characteristics because somehow you feel that it's justified because they're taking something from you. In fact, that's exactly what the racists of the past in America were feeling. They, they felt wrongly or rightly or whatever it is, the, their opinion in their head, that their jobs and stuff were getting taken by these people of color and decided to manifest that with hate and prejudice and racism. And of course, ironically, these people now are doing the exact same thing. Um, I find that reprehensible and I think it creates more Trump supporters. So I'm annoyed. I'm very annoyed at that. Um, embattled apologizes for public hanging comment but says her words were twisted. Well, her words were probably twisted. That's what she says. And people ask me to hear what comes out of her mouth. That came out of her mouth. So I don't know. So far, she falls into the category of dumb and maybe unintentionally, say, insensitive to the America's history. I, I think that that's where she falls. Now, that is a different type of person to someone who says we need to get rid of everybody from our area that is not white. They're very different and we have to acknowledge that they're different as far as I can see. Otherwise, why would we increase the size of our enemy? I would rather separate people of white skin who, who don't think in the way the neo-Nazi thinks. I'd rather separate them and keep the neo-Nazis on their own. I don't feel any need necessarily to have them both unite, even if they don't like each other, which is exactly what happened with Trump. We know that regular people of white skin and of other skin colors, as well as neo-Nazis, both voted for Trump, even though they might hate each other. Okay, But together, Trump still got their votes. Now, we don't know how many of the neo-Nazi votes, if they had been removed, would have allowed Hillary Clinton to actually win. We, we don't know. It might have not made a difference. The point is that they were on the same side, whether they like it and whether we like it numerically, even if they don't know each other, they were on the same side. Why would we want to do that? Why would we help assist in the increase of our enemy um, and make people who would not necessarily be our enemies who are on the side of the West? Why would we change that? I am officially and openly going to say that if someone wants to create enemies out of people that do not fit the description, I think they themselves are the enemy of thinking, the enemy of enlightenment, the enemy of the West. And I would dare submit that they themselves are the minority and yet happen to occupy positions of power in propagandist media institutions. That's my thoughts on that topic. Um, I, I did that quite calmly considering how pissed off I was. Now, this, this actually personally affects me and this is one of the reasons I don't talk about Australian politics. Um, when you grow up with real racism, 
you become very careful to, I guess, well, not everybody, but I guess in my case, I'm very careful to differentiate between someone who really is absolutely a conscious racist versus someone who wants to be part of a racist group for other reasons versus someone who's linguistically lazy, who says dumb stuff and is maybe insensitive to racial problems. They're all different. Okay. Um, and I want that to be the case because I would love all of our collective energy as a society, thank you, to be focused on the real nefarious um, pieces of garbage that honestly do hate people based upon their racial predispositions. We need to focus our energy on those real ones, not dilute the energy onto more of a population, which then as a reaction decides to vote against its own common interests. Hello from Kazakhstan. Hello. Uh, alrighty, so there you go. That's what I've said. Uh, I have said this before. I think that identity politics is an absolute disaster. Uh, it turns us into the Balkans, which is exactly what America had to rescue the Bosnian Muslim people from because they were being literally ethnically cleansed, which means home after home after home, Slobodan Milosevic and his people were going in and just murdering them, shooting them, killing them, raping the women because they were not Orthodox Serbian. Um, is that where we want to end up? Because that's exactly where we're going. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wasting my time. I have no idea. I mean, maybe we'll look back at this in 10 years after some ethnic cleansing thing in the US and go, oh my God, there was some random dude back in the past who foresaw this coming. You know, some, some, there'll be one person watching some recording somewhere if they can hook up to the satellite and get internet. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's very, it's very disappointing. So, hey, hello, Habibi. That is Amar, everybody. Amar, who is Egyptian. Magashi Mofo is back. You are always late, my dear, uh, but that's okay. So now we can talk about the different types of racism. And what's up? Hey, hey. Accusing others of racism, as you pointed out in the article. Very true. Um, oh, Syria. Okay. So, okay. Two things on Syria. So I believe Mattis resigned. Is that right? I think Mattis resigned over this. So... Um, yeah, he resigns. I thought he would. Uh, I'm Egyptian. I'm Greek. We're both ancients. <laughs> yes. So um, I find it interesting. I, I've been following Trump for about four years or so, three or four years. And of course, I've been reading his books and I predicted that he would win, etc. quite confidently and openly. And I put more my savings on him and I only had $300, but still it was good. So what I find interesting about Trump is that he does something that upsets the media just after the media decides to trash him for something huge. And it's happened so many times, yeah, uh, that to me, it cannot be a coincidence. And this is consistent with what I said about him being a cunning oaf or a strategic genius, as I've said before. Um, but his timing is interesting to me. Now, I don't know whether he wanted to or not wanted to, but he's, he's one of the things he does, I find it's way too coincidental that he does it always at the time when his media depiction is the worst. Now, it could also be that he, the media depiction of him is always so bad that it will just always look like good timing. 
So I don't know which one it is, but it just seems too wrong. Like there was a time, I'm trying to think of one time that he did it during the campaign. Um, when he came out with his stance on Muslims. Yeah, I think the timing is, I personally think the timing is strategic. He, he wrote about it in his book, actually, in the second book, The Art of the Comeback, I think it was. But you'll have to fact check me on that. And so there was something about his trust, the fact that I think he was getting sued for about $2.8 million. Uh, the, the, the New York, um, uh, what do you call it, attorney general is, you know, dissolving the thing. Um, and, you know, he was in all of the media about the corruption, alleged corruption and the painting that was hanging there that was worth millions of him, et cetera, et cetera. And the media news got so bad on that, that he decides to come out and say, the we are withdrawing from Syria and Mattis resigns. So if you now look at the news today, that is all you will see. Tell me if any of you remembered the trust issues until I brought it up. And I would probably say no one did because <laughs> the human brain is quite interesting in that it forgets everything that it's not looking at. Um, this is a huge psychological phenomenon. And this is something I think Trump understands because he is one of the most obtuse horror producing <laughs> psychologists. I keep other people awake at night. <laughs> That's pretty savage. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Look, if this was a movie, it would be really funny. Uh, and I'm sort of glad I don't live in America during these times. So it makes it easier to talk about these things. Um, so there you go. Mattis resigns. And want to draw six months ago. Well, you know, I mean, he, he said he never wanted to go in even during his campaigns. So, I know. very true. Uh, that's about it on that topic. Now, I had some other comments I wanted to talk about. Yes. How do you define who is openly racist versus those who are happy to be racist if for another benefit versus those who are inadvertently, accidentally, or negligently, or unconsciously racist. Yeah. He cares about nothing. No, of course not. He, he, he's, this is all just a game um, for the guy. I mean, he's, he's openly said that for ages. It's all about, but you know, whatever. It's, uh, it's his business. I don't really care. Um, by not being in a country. Ooh, that's a very good question, Dean. Why does it make it easier? That's such a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people try to talk to me as if that's a that's a negative. And I say it's the opposite. I personally can't talk about Australian politics because it emotionally affects me. Because every time I talk about it, I remember all of the racism and everything else that I went through. <laughs> uh, means you're racist. Well, in America, it probably did. Whereas for me to talk about American politics, I'm not anywhere near as blinded by emotion in the way that I probably would have been if I lived there. And so it makes it much easier to look at things mathematically, scientifically, with reason and logic to equate what's probably going on. Sort of like a referee. I don't have skin in the game in a way. Now, with foreign policy, I sort of do. So it's a bit hard to talk about American foreign policy without getting upset. Um, so here's an interesting thing. Omar just brought up a good point. He says, if I say all Asians look alike, does this mean I am racist? Well, in America, many people would say yes. But I would say something interesting about that. People define what an Asian is by what the person looks like in front of them, not by whether or not they're actually Asian. I'm going to break that one down. 
I have heard maybe a hundred thousand times in my life, I don't know how many times, people say to me, you don't look Lebanese. Now my response now is, most Lebanese don't look Lebanese. Now what does that actually mean? It means that the human brain, right, when people look at me and I walk down the street, and I hear this so many times, people say, I thought you were just Italian or Greek or European. And because most Lebanese around the world just look Italian, Greek or European, they become invisible to the human brain. But the ones who become visible are the ones who maybe get caught up in crime, have thick beards, have really dark skin, maybe more of the Arabic Lebanese, and not even most of them, but some who commit a crime. If, 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 a, if a Christian or Maronite Lebanese or whatever committed a crime, they might just look like a European person committing a crime. So then they just fall into, oh, they're European, so you dismiss it. But if someone happens to be of Arabic Lebanese descent or Persian Lebanese descent who, who looks different to, to the typical person living in a Western society and that person does the wrong thing, then they look like they're Lebanese. So you're going to associate Lebanese with that because the brain ignores all of the other people in the population who don't look like what you think. So when someone says all Arabs look the same, what they're saying is that all the ones who look the same look the same, which is a redundant statement because they're not counting all the ones who don't look like what they think Arabs look like. And that's where a stereotype comes from. And that's the illusion of a stereotype. All Americans look the same. Uh, words that people react emotionally to. Yeah, interesting. Um, the Lebanese and the Syrians are the cute Arabs, you can ask me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I have to say, uh, mate, when I was in, in Lebanon, yeah, they looked quite amazing. Uh, anyway, yeah, so what have we got? Um, and, and most, obviously, most Lebanese around the world would never call themselves Arab either, um, considering they most of them are Maronite. And as you should have blue-green eyes, but with the Lebanese, you'll definitely find a lot. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, it's, you know, Lebanon, only, only in the last 30, 40 years has been considered by most of the world to be Arabic for some reason. It's um, uh, racism is against whiteness. Yes, yes, very good point. Racism is against whiteness. And I would say this to anybody out here. If somebody as a Greek... Yeah, there you go. Well, that's the funny thing. See, being if someone calls you Greek and somehow that's racist, that's actually quite interesting because being Greek is a culture. It's not a specific race. Like my genetic ancestry and 50% of Greek male ancestry are the same. It's called haplogroup J2B. Yeah, I would say to people, it's not just okay to be white, as Michael Lau just said very rightly. It's okay to be, to be. It's just okay to be. Right? So whatever immutable characteristic you may have, it is what it is. And there is no moral judgment, I would say, that, that stems from that and, and somehow related to that. Now, there's a correlation. There is a correlation, but that's different. So white racists or white nationalists are going to have white skin. So if you get a group of a million people with white skin, the chance that one of them is a white nationalist is more than 0%. It's still probably extremely low, but it's still possible. But if you get a group of people with colored skin, okay, then the chance of finding a white nationalist is basically zero unless, you know, you're watching Dave Chappelle's hilarious, brilliant skits <laughs> like that guy, the guy who didn't know that he had dark skin and, and became a white nationalist, which was hilarious because he was blind. Um, the majority of Lebanon are Christians. Well, the majority of Lebanese are Christians around the world, but within Lebanon, that's not the case anymore. After the civil war and the change in constitution, the constitution changed to make the government, uh, it, it took the power away from Christians and it made it 
a confessional-style democracy where every ethno-religious culture has a piece, uh, which is basically instantiated identity politics, which I think is a disaster. You were told you weren't white. It's okay to have skin. <laughs> um, that's funny. Pourquoi tu parles? Uh, what are we talking about? Or why are we talking about? About what are you speaking in French? Uh, nous uh, parlons uh, dans la race. Is that right? America is nothing but identity politics now. Well, we need to take that back. As people of free thinking of the Enlightenment of the West, we should not let propagandist media help us define what's actually going on in the world. Because media is there to get clicks. It is not there to tell the truth. Telling the truth comes second, maybe, or third or fourth. Whereas we here, we don't earn any money. We're just talking. And so you're going to get people thinking, trying to think at the very least. And if somebody wants to make a judgment via a characteristic, then to me, that's, I would say that's the second highest level of racism. It's, it's still overt racism, I would say, but it's the second highest level. The highest level, I would say, would be someone who openly wants to persecute uh, physically and eradicate or ethnically cleanse um, their environment of anyone who is different to them. Uh, so that includes the, you know, whatever it was, the people who said no white people day at Evergreen University, you know, two or three years ago, whenever it was. That to me is the same as KKK. That's just a colored KKK. So, you know, KKK with a tan is the way I put it. And that's what I see when I see someone with their, you know, skin that might be my color or lighter or darker. Well, I don't give a damn. And they're, and they're writing with this moral judgment about someone who says something stupid. I'd, I not only think that that's inherently evil, I think it's dangerous because it creates more Trump supporters. And we don't need more of that. We need more of people working together. We don't need people joining some leader who is mixing the truth with solutions that further divide the country. We don't, we don't need that. Um, and anyway, so what have we got here? Christian Syrians and Christian Lebanese are Roman. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I've got Greek family, right? And we we uh, we brought some of them to to Lebanon, and we're going past all these Maronite churches. Now, the Maronites converted on on mass from Orthodox Christianity to Roman Christianity or East uh, Eastern Eastern Catholics. They became in 1185. Now, that has something to do, in my mind, with the Crusades because they wanted protection under the Pope, and so to get that, they had to convert convert to Catholicism. I think I don't know the full story on that. But what's the point? The point is that when they came to Lebanon, in Greek, um, my cousin's wife was saying to them, here are all these churches, Orthodox, Orthodox, Orthodox. And I'm thinking, I said to her, they're not Orthodox, they're Catholic. And then she said, shut up, don't say anything. Because, of course, the Greeks that were coming in from Greece are not very tolerant of the Catholic faith <laughs> and think it's a heresy because, of course, they added to the Nicene Creed um, and then obviously led to the excommunication of the Catholics by the Orthodox back in 1054, which was mutual. Is this a men-only meeting? Who cuts my hair, Helen Keller? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I've had that twice today. I cut my own hair, which is why it looks like this. <laughs> That's the best one I've heard today. Is a verbal weapon to shut opponents down? Yes. 
Um, division earns clicks, yes, but there's a price to pay. So Omar asked me a question as well. Identity politics is a verbal weapon to shut opponents down. Yes, but I think it has a rebound effect. And the rebound effect is that people get so frustrated that they vote for a demagogue, and that demagogue happens to be Trump, and the next demagogue might be, um, I forget her name, Alejandra, Alejandra Octavia Cortez. And the demagogue, it doesn't, doesn't make them a bad person necessarily. It's a style of leadership. It's rabble-rousing and fear-mongering. It's, it's a way to get mob rule by voicing people's frustrations and then funneling them into a very bad solution. So you know, is it true that these people that voted for Trump were suffering, were being mistreated and being called racist when they weren't, many of them? They were losing their jobs. All of these type of things are true. But the answer is not to bring back coal or build a wall. Not, these actually don't make any, like they're not actually related. You might like a wall, that's your business. But they're not the same. It's not One's not going to cure the other. Right? But that's the whole point of demagoguery. And then it further divides the country because the people who buy into it out of desperation or you know, because no one else is voicing their fears or their pain, uh, these people are going to obviously feel this sense of a community and bond and this emotion. And then the other side just look at them and go, what's wrong with you? And then it just gets worse. So uh, now Omar said, how do I think the situation of France will end? Um, ooh, how do I think it will end? I think that the backlash against Islam in France is growing because no one was able to differentiate between people who happened to be Muslim, who were good people, who were obviously maybe against Israel, but didn't hate Jewish people and the extremist Salafist Wahhabist style Muslim who wants to kill gays and kill Jews and all of that stuff. And because they did not differentiate and called everybody who criticized Islam a racist, then of course you get this bubbling hatred of, uh, of the government itself, which is suppressed only action wise. So those who display acts of racism no longer display the acts, but their thoughts are still there and they go underground and they manifest. Now, people were hoping, of course, that Marine Le Pen would win, but she was such a bad leader in terms of being able to motivate people that she lost. But statistically, we discovered, as I've said on previous scopes, that most people identified with many things that she was saying. She was just a bad leader. Now, what does that mean when you have most of the country agreeing with the leader that lost? What does that tell you? Now, how do I know this, by the way? Well, there are, I've spoken about it before, but there were surveys where people were asked things uh, about whether they agreed with certain things, but they didn't say who the leader was. Now, the leader was Marine Le Pen, but they didn't say that. And in those 70, up to 75% of French agreed with Marine Le Pen's points, but they don't like her. And that's a massive recipe for disaster. And as I said before, if Trump lost, America would have been in an even worse situation because then they might have gone for Ted Cruz. And, and I think is even more dangerous than Trump, in my view. He, he, you know, he wanted to actually spy on mosques and this, this crazy type of, um, uh, what do you call it, this police state style behavior. And he was, you know, overtly religious demagogue. And I mean, it's, at least Trump's not really religious and just faking it. Um, KKK with a tan, yeah. So how do I see France ending this? I see it, unfortunately, with blood. And that's very sad. I don't want that to be true. But I do see that uh, people are getting pushed further and further to hardcore right-leaning groups in Europe. 
and I see this breaking down into identitarian civil war, just like Lebanon, and I haven't changed from that. In fact, if anyone remembers, when I back when I had 15, 20 followers back in 2016, I specifically said that first Britain and then France will end up in civil wars because they're doing exactly what happened in Lebanon before Lebanon civil war. So in, in, uh, in Lebanon, there were, you know, when, when France created the country of Lebanon, they gave, it, they gave the power to the Catholics. And the Catholics who had been oppressed for 500 years after the fall of the Byzantine slash Roman Empire and being uh, massacred under the Turks, including the Christian massacre of 1860, decided that out of revenge, they're now going to do the same thing to the Muslim population. So funnily enough, just like what's happening now in America, we have people of color who are taking advantage of being of color to now shut down people of white skin. And that's very similar or very analogous to the Christians in Lebanon who then took advantage of that power to oppress the, the Muslim populations that were oppressing them previously. So fire with fire. And what happened? Well, the resentment within the Islamic sections of, of Lebanon built until they had a chance to attack. And that chance came in 1975 when the Palestinians were evacuated from Jordan or kicked out of Jordan and invaded South Lebanon and turned it into an Islamic state. And of course, that split Lebanon in two between the Christians and the Muslims. Um, inches to a civil war, you can feel it. Delayed gratification for the trolls. <laughs> Gab for President. Trump has done great things too. Our economy is booming. Uh, well, I've talked about that before. I would say that the economy is booming um, at the moment, and that may or may not be in part to do with Trump. And uh, all I can say is that um, obviously we'll never know. We'll never know how much of that was to do with Obama settling down the country after the massive abject disaster of the Gulf War, the second Gulf War. Um, but either way, I'm very happy that Americans can have jobs either way. Uh, you know, my disdain for Trump's personality is not going to stop me from congratulating regular Americans who now have jobs. So I say good on you. Uh, and, you know. Who doesn't wish that for people <laughs> to keep one in? Very good point, Dean. Uh, they're going to want to see uh, what type of leadership here in the United States would be beneficial for your country. <sighs> for me, it's much more important to educate the population because, and I think that's a lot harder to do. I think that in general, people vote based upon emotions or one particular point that matters to them the most. And so the country just oscillates between two extremes constantly. It's sort of the Hegelian dialectic manifested into real life. Um, the, the president, there is a problem in America where in Australia, we have an advantage of having a governor general, which is separate. It's a separate office to the prime minister. So the prime minister is the one who gets, you know, shit, shat on or shit, shitted on, whatever the word is. And the governor general holds the office of prestige. It's sort of the equivalent of the presidency because they represent the queen. Whereas in America, your prime minister and your head of state are one and the same person being the president. And I'm not saying it should change. I'm saying that one disadvantage of that is that the president is never going to be liked by half the population in general. It seems to be that way. And so... It's hard to respect the office and not respect the person in the office. Whereas in America, we, in Australia, we can crap on the prime minister and it doesn't matter because the governor general has all of the respect. Um, 
that's probably, I mean, I like it that way, obviously. That's the, a derivative of the constitutional monarchy. But the constitutional monarchy has other problems too, obviously, where it has religion infused into the state and the armed forces, which I think is a massive disaster. Um, so there you go. Once Trump is gone, what's your impression of Dr. Jordan Peterson? Dr. Jordan Peterson is America's uncle. And I think that for the at least 60% of what he says is beneficial. I think he has a bigger weakness, which is a... His weakness, I would say, I mean, he's a brilliant guy. He's, he's honest, as far as I can see. Uh, he acts what he speaks. Uh, he's very, very, very knowledgeable across multiple domains. He's very well educated. He's very respectful. He's witty. I mean, there's all these great things about him. I think that his abuse of the left is dangerous in the sense that the average, I, I think he overestimates how much the average person is able to differentiate between the terms that he uses versus what they understand. So when he says the pathological left, or when he says we need to protect our culture, the word culture can be understood by a white nationalist to mean white culture, or could be understood by someone to mean Western culture, as opposed to free thinking, for example, which can appear in many different cultures. Um, and if you don't listen to him enough, it's very easy to take that out of context. It's very easy to start left-wing bashing, which I think is very similar to racism. It's deeper than racism. It's more group discrimination. Because most people, we have to think about this, most people on the left are not acting in the way that people see on Fox News or social media. And you know this because if that wasn't true, then if you walk through any state anywhere in America, you would be getting every second person throwing rocks at you somewhere or, or telling you to get out if you had white skin. That doesn't happen. So clearly, it's not the not the majority at all. And in fact, because I listen to liberal media all day, and you know, for the most part, um, most liberals. I was just listening to one with Stephen Pinker and two other guys whose names I don't know, but they're overtly atheists, anti-theistic, um, uh, you know, pure scientist types who would never vote Republican in a hundred thousand years, and yet they're absolutely against identity politics. They absolutely trash people who are openly racist to white people or black people or whatever type of people. They openly want Republicans on board so that they can have diversity of views. And this is the truth. This is most people. It doesn't matter whether they're left or right leaning. Most people think this way. It's an illusion to think that most people think in a way that is persecuting your group. I don't think that's true. Otherwise, your group really wouldn't exist. Um, I would say it'd be very hard for that to be the case. Um, but I value your well thought statements. Thank you, Beethoven. I appreciate it. We need a referendum. I think, that, bro, you walk in France and you find more Africans than white people. I don't blame them. The other problem with France, of course, is the lack of differentiation between idea and nation. Um, now, the idea, I think, needs to supersede the inhabitants of the nation. So assimilation is a problem. Now, in America, we're very lucky, or you guys are very lucky in America, where you have a constitution which is independent of race to a very large degree, except for to keep racism out, you know, for the most part. I think the 14th Amendment, uh, forgive me, I don't know the exact number, but uh, um, anyway, yeah. So uh, what have we got here? That whites created racism. But th see, that comment is sort of ironic because if you say whites created racism, then you are creating racism by that comment. Um, and should there be a Frexit vote? How so? Um, oh, good question. Okay. So, well, firstly, 
when you say whites created racism, which whites? Is it the Northern European white, the Scandinavian white, the Celtic white, the Anglo-Saxon whites, the Russian whites, the, the other Slavic whites, uh, you know, the Danish type, descendant of Viking types? Is it the whites, like some people call me whites? Is it my type of white that's from the Middle East? Is it white Italians? Which, which one exactly is it? And so we're tainting a whole group based upon their immutable characteristics, which is the definition of racism, actually. Uh, that's the first one. The next one is that slavery, um, Anglo-Saxon, I'm missing your point. So th the other problem is that slavery did exist and still exists in places of the world where there are no white people. And in fact, the British suppressed slavery in the 19th century in sub-Saharan Africa. And yet, by the 20th century, the Sudanese, or some of the Sudanese people, were taking advantage of the fact that slavery was illegal by the British to actually take the potential slaves and make them their own slaves. So that's an, that's an example of where uh, someone of white skin being a British person stopped racism and someone of color started it. So there are examples across the board. And, and that would be the case because if we are all human and we're all very, 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 very similar, I, I think, that's my view, then absolutely evil and prejudice and racism can appear from any person's heart irrespective of their color. That's my, that's my view. All humans were black. Um, at some point, yes. So, you know, it's exactly what you would expect if you assumed evolution by natural selection. So you would expect, so for example, I'm a Caucasoid, which means that I'm similar to Caucasian, but if I go into the sun after, you know, an hour, I look like I'm from India. So that's like a, like a slight genetic mutation. And that's exactly what you would expect for someone who evolved in the Semitic lands of Israel and Lebanon or Southern Italy, because that part of the world has the most degree of fluctuation in UV concentration per year because of its section in Earth's orbit around the tilt. And you would expect that someone who evolved closer to the North Pole, and depending on their diet, of course, because I think diet had more of an effect because of vitamin D concentration uh, within diets in um, uh, the Neolithic European um, uh, descendants, uh, you would expect that because of the lower UV concentration and its consistency throughout the year, that they would have extremely white skin, which is an adaptation, which makes them better off in that particular area of the world. It's exactly what you'd expect, which means that we are actually the same. Because if you take someone of one color and have them try to adapt evolutionarily in another place, then their descendants with lighter skin would be favored in that environment. So we're all the same in that sense that we adapt. Uh, okay, so uh, Abid, yeah, so um, yeah, Abid is a racist term. So, so you know, Semitic history is quite racist. Uh, descendants of Ham were considered to be the Semitic people, being my ancestors who were not Jewish, as well as the Africans, and they were seen as having God's curse upon them, which was further instantiated by the Abraham 3.0 being the Islamic archipelago. And what else? Um, Habid means servants or slaves. It depends on the context. And the country Sudan means land of black people. So, you know, yes, this, these were by the Arabic language, which predates the English language.
Does it predate the English language? It predates the modern English language. Modern English language evolved between, well, it started in 1066, but it didn't really filter down until about the 16, 1700s. So yes, Arabic was a lot earlier than that. Arabic started in about 600 or so AD, evolving out of Nabataean, which evolved out of Aramaic. Okay, so has, hence the change of color of skin, yeah. So uh, we don't know which of the four races came first. I don't think that they're different races. That's the other thing. And even if they were, where do we draw the line? Because, my, for example, my, my, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers is, he goes out in the sun for 30 seconds and he's as dark as anything. So 99% of the time, he's really, really dark guy. My other grandfather could never tan. He had the whitest skin, blonde hair and blue eyes. And so what race does that make me? What race were they? And yet we were all Maronites from Lebanon for as far back as you can go. So it's hard. Where do you exactly draw the boundary? Um, how about Amr? Amr is initially from Egypt, but Egypt has had the Berbers. It's had the Arabs. It's, it's had uh, Europeans, Italians, you know, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire. Where, how much of him is African? How much is Arabic? How much is... and I think that's the same with all of us. And some people want to define a group by one metric and one metric being a phenotype, which is an expression of a genotype. One metric could be skin color. So are we going to group everyone by skin color? We could group everybody by IQ. We could say everyone who has an IQ of 150 goes in this group. We could do it that way too. We could say everybody who's six foot three goes in one group or everyone who has um, everyone who's hairy, everyone who's really hairy goes into one group. We can decide which group we want to put people into. We have somehow decided that it's skin color. And one of the reasons I think is because our visual cortex is so strong in the human brain, unbelievably strong. It's, it's, I think it's, according to Daniel Kahneman, uh, our, what we take in via our eyes affects us more than anything else. In fact, it affects us so much that we we actually don't think other things exist if they don't come through that mechanism for the most part, which is, I mean, that's not completely factually correct, but it's quite amazing. And that's one of the reasons because casinos win because people always see what they can win. They don't see what they can lose. Uh, and so the possibility of losing becomes under-exaggerated or underestimated. Uh, okay, so you're catching my point. Cool. Uh, all right, what's Ahmad saying? Yeah, Abed, yeah, Aswad, Astaghfirullah. just made some funny jokes about um, uh, how Arabic make, you know, uses the word black or slave and stuff like that. Uh, parallel or convergent evolution. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, parallel or convergent evolution. I was talking about that in another scope about why hyenas look like dogs, but in fact, they're of cat descent. And that's because of convergent evolution, where they start to look, they adapt in a way that's similar to how a dog's phenotypes are, even though their genotype is actually feline. That white race needs to accept that evolution is responsible. Well, it's see, when you say the white race needs to accept, there's no such thing as the white race because, well, as I've said before, it's very hard to depict what's, what's white and what isn't. There's also culture involved. So my culture is Middle Eastern, even though my appearance, you know, I could have never learned, I could have had Greek parents and spoke Greek and you would never know. Uh, so it's a different culture and each culture sees things differently. I mean, there are many Greeks that are Greek centric and there are many that aren't. I mean, it's hard to decide which one uh, and whether or not 
they actually mean to be racist or they're just ignorant, which are two different things. Um, does any white group run into dark skin led countries? Um, yeah, all the time. I would say all the time. Uh, to move forward as one race. I think the first thing, the first step would be to not discriminate via certain immutable characteristics. So if I say that I, for, for example, right, when you have a conversation, I'm very aware of this. I will hear someone say to me, I ran into this Asian bloke the other day. Now, if that was me telling the story, I would say I ran into someone the other day. Because to me, it's not important. That characteristic is not important. You could make it important. You could make another characteristic important. You could say, I ran into a big nosed guy yesterday, right? Oh my God, these big nosed people. And the more you think about it, you'll start to see bigger noses. It's the same as when you buy a new car and you start to see that car everywhere. So if you focus on a certain immutable characteristic, it'll become more important. Um, okay. Now, um, by race, I was referring to what biology had used for classification. Uh, okay, nah, bro, trust me, I look Arab as... <laughs> my mum, white as Wales, see, there you go, belly. Most of my Greek relatives have blonde or light brown hair, blue eyes, I have green. Yeah, we shouldn't group people. Tan privilege is real, bro. No groups should feel as individuals. Look, it's important to recognize groups in order to transcend the groups. So we can't say that groups don't exist. We can say that we need to break out of them. So, you know, people always say to me, where are you from? Oh, you're Lebanese, you're a Lebo. I, I really despise that because it's in their mind what they imagine a Lebo to be, which is not, they're most likely wrong because they're just watching fake news media about the civil war and, you know, all of that type of crap. Um, so anyway, I lost my point on that. Uh, yes, so so groups do exist. There is a, and, and the, what we have to understand is that the group is created by the person seeing the group. That's the important part. If this is why a lot of people are scared of speaking in crowds, they're scared of the crowd. But I wrote this in my book. The crowd is an illusion. It's only seen by your brain. The crowd doesn't have a specific brain. It can't move in a coordinated fashion unless it's a mob. And that's still not really that coordinated. But if you're in the crowd and you're watching someone speak, you only see yourself a couple of heads in front of you and the speaker. You don't see this whole collective mass of an organism. Um, and so the group is only seen by the person giving the speech and it's the same. So the group does exist, but it's in the mind of the speaker and the speaker has to realize that. And the people in the group have to realize that the speaker also sees it so that they can remind them that that group is not actually there. And I'm an individual in the group. Okay. True faith is here. Um, I'm very aware of racial issues. We can never end racism. That's just a fact. Well, racism, I think is a derivative of a deeper problem. And the deeper problem is that we have a tendency to construct groups in our head based upon what we see, not based upon things we don't see. So if I run into people that are louder and more visual, I will remember those people. I'm not going to remember their family, brothers and sisters who were quiet or who, who weren't there. Does that make sense? Uh, if I run into a, if I go to a Lebanese party, I'm going to see, I know personally, I know if I go there, I'm going to see a certain type of person there who happens to be Lebanese. I'm never going to see the type who doesn't like parties, who prefers to study like a nerdy type like myself, the person who's not really that religious, but doesn't like to get into fights and stays away from people. You're never going to see those people. So you will never know how many, uh, what is the population proportionally of people in that Lebanese group who look like the, oh my God, bro, tabuli with the big beards or whatever, versus everyone else who just looks like myself or just 
quite inconspicuous uh, in terms of whatever group you think that they should belong to or should not belong to. Uh, Fox News, the black man, blah, white woman, exactly. A difficult time fearing being offensive. That's the other issue. So Sun Gold has brought up a really good point, which is that groups have within them a distribution. And that means that there's always a probability and possibility. So as I said at the beginning of the scope, there is more chance that you will meet a white nationalist in a group of white people or people with white skin than if you have a group of people who don't have white skin. Okay. Yes, there is more of a chance. So if I'm walking down the street and I go past 50 people who are potentially, you know, who look like a white nationalist, I personally don't know which one is going to be the one. So it could be that all 50 have nothing to do with that. It could be one person does, or it could be five people or whatever, but I don't know which one. And me not knowing requires me to be cautious because there's a probability of meeting that one person. And that probability is what connects the individuals to that group in your head. And so to be extra cautious is not racist. That's the problem I find in America that we're applying a moral judgment to apprehension. Apprehension is different to following through. I can be cautious of certain people because I think they potentially belong to a certain group or there's a probability of them being of that group. Okay. Um, and then as soon as I realize that they're not part of that group, then I move on. That's we, we as a society have to realize, I think that that is not racism. That is apprehension based upon past trauma, part based upon a natural survival instinct, which is partly pre prejudicial, but it's also biologically evolved and it is required actually, because if you're walking down the street at night, would you be more scared of, and this has happened to me, right? I'm, I'm about six foot, just under six foot three. And I've had people so many times when I'm walking down the street at night, step to the other side of the road. Okay. And it's happened so many times that it just can't be an accident. Or if there are females, they'll, they'll pull out their phone and start talking as if there's someone there. And you know, you can hear, you can hear that there's no one on talking out of the side of their phone. Or you can hear that they always just pick it up at the right time. Just when I'm walking past so it happens too many times to think that they're not being prejudiced. But the thing is, there is a reason for that prejudice, which is that because I'm most likely way bigger than them, there is a chance that I could be one of those pieces of shits who, even though I know I'm not, and you know I'm not, they don't know. So I could be the one in a thousand guy who ends up harming them, heaven forbid, right? So because they don't know, they take precaution, which is equal and opposite to the potential consequence of the risk. So the risk and the consequence are really important. Even if the chance of, you know, some large person being having nefarious intent is one in a million, if the consequence of them actually being that person is huge. So let's say, you know, God forbid any one of my family or anyone here or anyone, any human gets harmed, you know, uh, let's say uh, physical assault, physically assaulted. Okay. I've been through that and other people, it's, it's, it's horrendous. So if the chance of being physically assaulted was one in a million, you would still want to avoid it. Even though the chance is low, the consequence of you being wrong is very high. And that has to be factored in. Also something from Daniel Kahneman, um, my Lebos all live on Park Avenue with Jews, Manhattan racing, except the of classism. Well, yeah, American Lebanese are mostly Christian. And for that reason, Lebanese in America are 
very, very adapted to Western society because the it's not because they're Christian, but because they tend to be Maronite in America. Because in America, the Maronites, obviously not, Lebanon was 90% Maronite at one stage, and most of them went to America and Brazil. And they were Maronites, and they were already European. They'd been European for centuries, right? Uh, they, they had the Phoenician Empire and you know, and the Greeks and the Romans, etc. So they become unbelievably successful. I noticed when I went to America, I found that the word Lebanese did not have the negative derogatory connotation that it has in Australia. But in Australia... Most of the Lebanese that came here initially were Maronites, but after 1975, the government was received money from either Israel or Saudi Arabia, I'm not sure which one, I think it was Israel, um, to bring over the Arabic Lebanese, but not just any Arabic Lebanese, but the most, um, the most trauma, traumatized, the least successful, the most persecuted, the least educated, okay? And that's a good thing, of course, to do that, but without assimilating that type of culture, you're going to get one, two, three, five, ten percent of that culture, people of that culture committing nefarious acts. And then, of course, it derogatizes the name in Australia because Australians naturally group identify what they see, not what they don't see. And what was the consequence of that? I've been spat on many times for being a dirty Lebo. If I'm walking with other guys who look more Lebanese than me, then we'll get effing lebos get out of our country i've had rocks thrown at me i mean it's that you can't forget that stuff uh and that's one of the reasons i don't talk about australian politics because all that memory comes up and that stuff was really traumatic uh for me how do i become so knowledgeable uh yeah i've been reading since about the age of three so you just you just read and read and read and live and live and live and read and i've lived in the middle east and i've you know traveled all over europe and parts of china and many parts of america and um, constantly just learning, listening to podcasts, listening to professors. I've gone to university multiple times. Um, just keep doing, you know, following as much as you can and you'll, you'll just pick it up after a while. Going into what would be my advice to President Trump? I would say President Trump, I don't need to give him advice because he knows exactly what he's doing, I think. And I think that he's ultimately destroying the fabric of America. <laughs> For his benefit, um, you know, uh, obviously the people who vote for Trump, I, you know, they voted for him and they think that he's doing the right thing by them. And I actually believe that in the short term he is. I do believe that actually. I, I believe in the short term that Trump is actually looking after the interests of the people around him. I think in the long term it won't work because I do not believe that it is China and industrial jobs taken by China and by Mexico, etc. And immigration that's actually disrupting American success. I think it's the design of the economic system because it was based upon winning the Second World War and the using of those added resources by the baby boomer, baby boomer generation. And automation plus baby boomers together and the lack of growth, of course, in the economy, which is a consequence of running out of steam because there's no more wars uh, for America to benefit from. Um, they, the, the economy is going to dwindle downwards. And for that reason, people will suffer. Part of it is immigration um, in a way that because immigration is done badly, there's no assimilation. Part of it might be to do the loss of coal jobs, but that's a very small part. It's almost nothing. But Trump plays those parts as if they're the biggest parts. So when he rebuilds jobs again, people think that he's saved them. But in the long term, they're still going to go. Um, there is no way that coal will stay, unfortunately. And I want these people protected. And that's why I'm very, very angry with the Democrat Party. 
because the Democrat Party played identity politics instead of realizing that the worker in America needs a transition over the next 50 years. We need to take all of our beautiful coal mining brothers and sisters and over the next 50 years, train them and their children to move from coal mining as a whole community. So the community stays together and move that community into the new generation of coal miners who will be the solar workers. And they can be proud to be American that they inherited this new technology that they can work on in the same way that their fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers worked in the coal industry. That would be awesome. Now, if I came out as a Democrat and said that, I can guarantee, I reckon, that less people would have run over to Trump because well, what do we have now? Oh, you're a racist. If you, if you want to work in a coal mine, you're a racist. It's just, it's a disaster. It's like these people want America to die for some reason. I don't understand. Uh, you're two heightists. <laughs> One aspect of America, the great equalizer. Take a risk. You're closer to the truth. What's the topic here, kid? Hey, hey, uh, I'm not even sure. I went to school with many Lebanese and the idea that some are Christians is strange to you. Exactly. You know, I swear, Michael Loud says that and I, my blood boils. I love Michael Loud. It's nothing to do with Michael Loud. That comment I know is common. I hear that all the time. How come you're Lebanese and you eat pork? What do you mean you're Lebanese? You got a cross on. And I just want to rip these people to shreds. Like, I, I, I know it's not their fault. I'm sorry. I, I love you, Michael Loud. I love you so much, man. Please. It's... Um, <laughs> this, it, it drives me nuts because it's sort of like saying, you know, you're American, but you're not, you're not, uh, shooting kangaroos. Why not? Like, it, it's just something so obscene, right? Like, yeehaw, I know America, let's go and rape women. Yeah. Like they don't think like that, you know, anyway, so I get what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Germany, Germans, difference as Christian Muslims. Yeah, that's right. True. Where I live, coal and fracking is huge, cheap and abundant. Anarchist, can you talk about one belt, one road, China, 2025? I will have to refer to some notes. Um, one belt, one road. Ah, the Silk Road Info Service. Parliament of Australia, China's one belt, one road initiative. Hey, hey, hey. Um, what are we? But it's true. It's true. The the that's the whole point. Like you know, the, the idea of a certain group is, is so miscast, and so that's why I don't say in Australia. I don't say I'm Lebanese because it's all of a sudden people think, oh, terrorist, suicide bomber, um, you know, wants to marry my daughter and put a scarf on her and all that type of stuff, which is not even true of most Lebanese Muslims either. We we got neighbors all the way down the street that are like all the Lebanese in our street except us are Muslim, and none of them wear the scarves. They all have like amazing cars. They go out every freaking weekend. Um, so yeah, anyway. All right. So it's a Chinese economic and strategic agenda by which two ends of Eurasia, Africa and Oceania are being closely tied along two routes, overland and one maritime. Supporters suggest the initiative to finish neutral structure economy to provide the needed economies. Critics claim it facilitates Chinese economic and strategic domination of the countries along these routes, provides a global context for China's growing economic links with Australia. Okay. So... What do we got here? So the the bonuses are, of course, providing economic aid to needy economies, but it will further tie them closer to China. Yeah, of course, China has an expansionist policy uh, ec economically, and uh, it will rival America's very soon. I actually think that Steve Bannon, the right-wing demagogue, Jenny, another beloved Patreon, the right-wing demagogue, what's his name? Steve Bannon. Um, I think he's right on identifying the problem he's just wrong on the solution so steve bannon talks about it's not guaranteed 
he uses the word second law of thermodynamics. It's not guaranteed that China will become the next superpower <laughs> if we can do something about it. This is what makes Steve Bannon very persuasive and therefore dangerous if you're not on his side or if you are on his side, you love him, right? He sees a problem and provides hope to people. His solution, I think, is absolutely wrong. And it's, it's important to recognize that he's not, even if he's a racist, I don't know, I don't think he's a racist, I don't care for this conversation. For this conversation, he's identifying something that's true, and we need to identify it back, which is that it is not a given that China has to become the world superpower by 2030. It does not have to be that way. We could figure out how to work together and not argue with each other about stupid shit so that we can focus on making our country better in different ways. We can't run it the way we did. Automation is going to take everything apart. Look at Elon Musk. He's developed now the boring tunnel. He came out with his concept recently, a couple of days ago, where he's creating three-dimensional roads under the ground, which can take cars up to 150 miles an hour or about 220, 230 kilometers per hour. And there'll be one car per second. The tunnels can be built instead of a mile a week. It's no, instead of a mile a month, it's a mile a week. Or they build five, the boring tunnel, yeah. He builds them five times as fast, uh, ridiculously cheap. Um, if there's any busting of water or anything like that, it doesn't affect the mains outside. Um, it's independent of weather. You don't. You can use an Uber inside it. He's going to build it so that passengers, people with bikes, people with pedestrians, blah, 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 whatever. That's how we need to be thinking is boring here. Yeah. If we thought like that, we could continue to be the moral and economic, financial uh, and cultural, societal leaders of the world. And we can spread that to everywhere else. But we're not doing that. We're deciding to say, nah, let's criticize people because this dumbass woman said that she'd go to a public hanging. You know what? You're a dumbass. Okay. But at the same time, she also voted for prison reform. So I have to give that to her. She did. And Trump voted for prison reform. I don't have to like Trump, but I can acknowledge that that was a good thing. So I think that we should acknowledge that instead of wasting our time giving everything to China, assuming it's a given. Um, so, you know, China keeps doing this. China's sinking 30, 40 years ahead, I think. I think it's so far ahead of us, it's ridiculous. So we're looking, we're trying to reignite coal mines. That's insane. It's what's worse about reigniting coal mines is that you're giving generations of coal miners false hope that this can continue. We're going to get to a point very soon, I don't know how many generations, one or two, where eating meat will become morally reprehensible. I'm almost certain of this because already via stem cell research, we've already created steak. So once you can create steak at a cheap price, at the moment it's about a million dollars for one slice. But as soon as that comes down to $10 or $5, you mark my words, right? Mark my words right now, remember it, write it down. As soon as replacement beef that they can grow in farms costs $5 a patty, or $10 equivalent of today, it will become immoral to grow cows and kill them for beef. Guaranteed. That's how it's, it's going to be. Um, like literally everywhere. Yeah, that's right. They're flooding the market with stuff, but that's going to backfire on China. See, China cannot accelerate its growth by continuously selling cheap products. <laughs> that's right. Multiple of seven, which happens to be a Friday in 2018 in December. Um, vegan. There you go. She's, Gina Tong's already 10 steps ahead. So yeah, it will 100% happen. Now, how do, I, how do I say this with such confidence? That's the day you're straight vegan. How do I say that with confidence? 
Does anybody here remember leaded petrol? Does anyone remember leaded petrol? Does anyone remember unleaded petrol? Who, I mean, we all know this. I've had people ask me who are in their 20s, why does it say unleaded for, right? Yeah, we all know. Anyone in their 30s remembers leaded petrol. Um, you agree, exactly. The, the, day, the day that the technology came out to make petrol unleaded was the day that anyone who drove a leaded car was morally bankrupt, right? We all remember this, anyone in our 30s or more. And that's exactly the same with automation. Tell me which elevator has a human pulling the elevator up and down. But who remembers if you look back at any video from the 30s or 20s, that's what they did in David Jones. They were doing that, all right? But as soon as automation came in, they lost their jobs. Where are they now? It's the same thing. As soon as automation comes in to take over driving, my bus driving job will go, all of these jobs will go, and we're not preparing for this. We're not figuring out how we can have an economy based upon what we're doing on Periscope. I think this should be the next economy where we all research certain things and we share them online. And it shouldn't just be hearts, it should be actual economy where we can all somehow benefit from this. And it should be stuff of the mind as much as we can. Um, and I think that the coal communities can't be destroyed. All right, off to work. I'm going to go soon, gin and tonics, but lovely to see you. So one of the mistakes that Hillary Clinton did and the Democrat Party have been doing was trying to replace coal jobs, but not realizing that they have to save the coal community. The community for them is extremely important, as it would be. And so if you want to transition a coal community over, it's going to have to take a couple of generations. And it's going to have to be the community as a whole, so that the fathers and mothers believe that when they're raising their kids that they have a hope for the future in the same community. Not, oh, sorry, guys, we enjoyed your services for the 20th century, now F off and move to New York. That is not a country that people want to live in. So when Trump came along and said, I'm going to reignite coal, that's not what mattered to them. What mattered was that our community is saved. And so smart, smart was very Trump, or Trump was very smart. One charge over 200 miles. Yeah, it's crazy. Coal is cheap and the cost of energy is more practical. Also true. So people say coal is cheap, but that's because of something I call societal awareness. Societal awareness is different to global awareness. The future. Coal is only cheap if we don't factor in the crap of the byproduct into the atmosphere. And just the crap itself, you don't have to worry about climate change or global warming or any of that crap. Just the idea of spitting out garbage into the atmosphere is a price that we're paying that we're passing on to our kids. And so we think that fuel is cheap, but it's only because we're partially paying for it. The other half is going on the credit card for our kids who will inherit just more polluted type of environments. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to love you and leave you guys because I am tired of talking. <laughs> and I would like to go and do something else. Uh, I'm supposed to be talking about autism. I still haven't done that. I might do another scope if I have some energy talking about autism. But um, until then, thank you. I love your comments. It's a pleasure to have you. Until next time, as always, thank you, Dean. Thank you, everybody. All my beloved Patreons. Ginny, Ahamar, pleasure to have you. Sun Gold Halo, Pennsylvania, time for bed. Get some sleep. Platinum Mimi, Michael Laoud, thank you for following. Renewables is the biggest growth industry. Yes. <laughs> Habibi Ahmad, a pleasure to have you, my friend. All right, guys, all the best. Till next time. Bye.